Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Today on Brand Story, Inc., we welcome Lindsay Hansen, the Managing Vice President of Brand Marketing at Capital One, where she's charged with building and delivering a memorable world-class brand. Lindsay recently built and launched a new brand-centered marketing capability to support Capital One's technology transformation story and is here today to talk about Capital One's learn and grow and tech content platforms. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jay, and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Likewise. We're, we're, we're so excited to have you. Um, and I, I figured, you know, maybe we start off with kind of a, a more macro point here. In preparation for this podcast, you and I exchanged some candid thoughts about content marketing in general and how it's not an alternative to marketing, but a piece of the overall marketing pie. And Capital One is clearly a major advertiser and national television events, traditional media and the like. So before we dive into the weeds on content function that you manage within Capital One, I'd love your perspective on how content marketing fits in the larger piece of Capital One's play. Absolutely. Thanks for the question and thanks for the tee up. I think it's really important before we get way into how content works at Capital One to think a little bit about what we're trying to achieve in general for the brand and for the company. And for us, we're here to make Capital One a brand that's easy to remember and easy to choose. We know that to earn new customers' business, we have to be top of mind and we have to be really readily available. And so that means we use a wide variety of channels, everything from mass media and television and print and radio and the like, all the way down to unique one-on-one experiences in our branches and cafes in order to really um, meet our customers where they are and acknowledge any of the barriers that might exist to people remembering Capital One, Mm -hmm. having us be top of mind and reaching out to us. So this notion of, you know, we need to understand the barriers that exist in our consumers' experiences for Capital One being on the top of their list whenever they have a need for something in the financial services category is really where we spend the bulk of our time. And I think it's important also to remember as we get into this conversation, the consumers are super distracted. They don't think about our brand nearly as much as we think about our brand. They're disengaged on average. And so, therefore, we need to acknowledge that and really remember that the first job that we have to do is get noticed and get remembered before we can go any further through the experience. And so that's that's kind of the, the macro um, ecosystem, for lack of a better word, that content then plays a role in. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think um, this, I'm not here to pander to you. I, I'm a huge college basketball fan, right? And so as a college basketball fan in March Madness, you can't not notice Capital One, your presence throughout March Madness on television, right, with Turner Sports and, and everything else. But mm-hmm. then, you know, I, um, because of the business I'm in, I actually go to the final, I used to go to the final four and you're allowed to do such a thing. And, and Capital One, like I, I often cite it, Talk about activation. Uh, your company is as good as anybody at like activating every touch point where that college basketball fan goes. And so, for example, I remember being at the Final Four down in uh, San Antonio, and mm-hmm. you guys have like three days of free concerts, right? And and not only that, and, and you walk in and it's like, I mean, I remember seeing One Republic. I'm a big fan. And 
in there, they have the Capital One does this so well. It's like so. First of all, you've got you know, hundreds of thousands of people going into this um, concert, right, providing value, and then you guys had these like VIP area, like beer tent type stuff that these multi level where you could get better seats as opposed mm-hmm. to being in a field just by showing your Capital One card. It was such a great um, execution. And to your point, it's like you look at that everywhere that a college basketball fan is, you are, right? And so clearly I think, you know, what we're going to talk about here, um, I, I think it's exciting too because many of the listeners that we have don't necessarily have the scale or number of constituents or types of businesses that Capital One has, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got so many different stakeholders. So as we dive in, I think it's a great, you know, I, I appreciate you kind of framing that up that way to, to kind of make sure that we realize that this is a sliver of the overall marketing pie chart. So well, and I think, go ahead. I think it's a great example. I think the NCAA is a really great example, too, of the intersection of not only everything that we do, and I really am lucky to work with some truly exceptional colleagues who uh, know this space up and down and really set a new bar each and every time we engage in something like this. But if you think of the role of content and, and particularly digital distribution of content, What we're trying to do in many cases is extend the reach of that on the ground experience Mm -hmm. to card holders and fans in general and really welcome more of our customers into that experience, even if they can't be on the ground and give them sneak peeks, give them insights behind the scenes, ways to participate um, as a benefit of being a Capital One cardholder. Yeah, I mean, it's all part of that sense of building community, right? You felt you felt special just by having a Capital One credit card. It was like, wow, I felt I feel pretty cool. So I think let's start from the inside out. As a managing vice president, uh, I mean, you look at your profile. You have social media and content marketing, digital product marketing, as well as in-house creative, all reporting up into you. So paint a picture for us of what the content function is like within Capital One, you know, number of staff, type of staff, and the the basic org structure, so we have context. Sure. I will try and do this justice without uh, spending half an hour just on (laughs) We are a large company, and we're a really diverse company, and we don't um, have a really centralized um, activity for every single piece of the content process. So we have five major lines of business with a wide array of folks contributing to our marketing and communication strategies. So our team, the brand team, is an enterprise function that supports all of our lines of business. And we play kind of a dual role of being a center of excellence for the company, as well as kind of being a full service Uh, internal marketing agency for Mm -hmm. a lot of that work. So when you think then about content, we have Learn and Grow, which is our enterprise content hub. Mm -hmm. And on my team, we have roles from, you know, platform and publish strategy, uh, publishing strategy for consumer and B2B to actual content development and, and distribution. Same thing on the technology side, different audience, obviously, but similar types of roles. What is the platform strategy? What is the content strategy, the distribution strategy? And then obviously some of the content development as well. And then we have teams supporting our lines of business accountable for the social and content strategies for each of their lines of business that leverage as a device within their marketing strategies, these these platforms, the learn and grow platform or the tech platform um, as needed. But that's not 
that's not the the only place that content gets done at Capital One. We have dozens of associates all around the company who are supporting horizontal objectives or vertical lines of business, and they're really contributing to this platform in their own way. So we end up playing a dual role, platform, you know, kind of owners and strategists, editorial type of perspective but then also we are creating some some content as well Um, it it sounds like a hub and spoke model if i'm hearing you correctly meaning like there's a centralized team but there's also spokes out to different business unit content collaborators or folks am i getting that right do you have or is it all centralized is it centralized it's centralized and, and then you have these points of contact within the different five business units that so you're kind of servicing as an agency to the internal business units and then you also have a marketing function obviously that from a content perspective that needs to go external as well that's exactly right and and we are a a big company we Mm -hmm. have as i mentioned we have lots of associates and and many businesses that we're supporting and i think from the outside looking in that can be really overwhelming and it can and it can be perceived as complex and and layered and um, I think Capital One has a really nice pedigree of turning what might look like from the outside as uh, a, a disadvantage or a complication or a complexity of some sort and turning that into an opportunity mm-hmm. and an advantage. And one of the advantages that comes from our structure is we have a centralized function that can really take care and curate our presence in the marketplace, but we're benefiting from having content and stories coming in from all over the mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. in a way that obviously you couldn't do if you were just a, a tiny little centralized team. Mm-hmm. And that's a really uh, nice benefit of, of how we work. Give ballpark on um, type of staff that reports into you all in. The type of staff that uh, we uh, have? So ballpark numbers of staff, sorry. And then the, some of the types, like um, are we talking Hundreds of people on your team? That's fair. My team is hundreds of people. Uh, the brand department is, is hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Content, you know, it, it's we have so many different roles from mm-hmm. writers and producers to platform strategists to distribution folks. And so it is really quite a, a varied group. And I think one of the things that makes our organization really interesting as well is we have an exceptional in-house capability to create content and Mm -hmm. execute content. So we have an in-house studio who can produce, you know, video content in particular uh, that is of exceptional quality that we are really excited to put out in the marketplace. We also leverage our AOR. Uh, as part of our content strategy and really helping us think about uh, the types of assets that we need and the types of stories that we want to tell. And we also have partners in corporate communications and external affairs, right? They have their own constituencies that they're looking out for. And so we're really able to, to partner with the best of the best and harvest stories and elevate them for scale in a meaningful way that can help establish Capital One in a leadership position for the benefits that we really want to be associated with, with our target audiences. We're going to dig into a couple of specific Capital One examples in a moment, case studies, but from keeping it at that 30,000 foot level, share your perspective on how you approach your own content marketing channels 
and then separately external ones and kind of the numerous target audiences and, and business priorities. Like to your to your point you were just making, from the outside looking in, it seems akin to kind of air traffic control at just to even navigate where the content goes, how, what platform, and you know, whether that's through your own and or partner platforms. Sure. And to me, this all starts with where we originally started this discussion, which is who are our audiences? What do we need them to do or think? Mm -hmm. And what are the barriers to them not doing or thinking the thing that we want them to do right now? And letting that guide then where we need to be, what we need to be saying, where we need to be directing people. And so I'll give you an example specifically on the tech side of the house. So I'm really excited about the work our company has done in the technology space and really engaging with the technology community in a meaningfully relevant way as a, as a peer, right? A, mm -hmm. a bank engaging with the technology uh, sector as a peer. And when we first started doing that years ago, we really wanted to engage where our tech, our technology community was. Mm -hmm. And by and large, that was not at Capital One. That was elsewhere in places like Medium, for example, where mm -hmm. this audience is spending a lot of time seeking out content, upskilling, thinking about what's new, uh, peer reviewing, and just a highly engaged audience. And so we really wanted to be where the conversation was happening mm -hmm. and meaningful contributions to that discussion. And that's still a really important part of our strategy. But there's two other pieces that we've layered on since then. One is distribution and acknowledging that if we put out content, it doesn't necessarily mean people are just going to find it <laughs> and that they're just going to love it all of a sudden. We have to put some energy behind directing people to that content and mm -hmm. really creating some anticipation and excitement for it. So we have complementary social media handles that uh, help get the word out and help direct people to where we want them to go. So that was one evolution. An additional evolution is really thinking about our owned presence, to your point, and really understanding as our journey went on with this group, why are we pushing people away from mm -hmm. Capital One? How do we think about the hub and spoke a little more interdependently such that we can have we can participate in conversations where they're where they're happening and we can have a credible leadership voice within that. But we can also draw people into our owned experience so that they can learn more about Capital One. They can be a click or two away of something that they might want to do with us, whether that be downloading a white paper or looking at job openings or you know, clicking around our financial services products and, and learning how our technology really powers the underbelly of what mm -hmm. we're able to offer to consumers. That was a, that was missing in our strategy years ago. And now we have a much more comprehensive kind of understanding and relationship of owned channels, third party channels, and then the distribution among all of that. Well, I, I really, you just kind of hit on a key point that I love to talk about. It's the reason um, I, I stalked you politely <laughs> to track you for the, track you down for this. And I'm, you know, I'm biased in favor of brands kind of creating these media publishing brands that kind of create and build and engage a community just the way you talked about it from a tech perspective, right? You saw a gap in the marketplace. You saw them going kind of dis disparate places. You knew it was a customer base that you could connect with. And, you know, you, you really dug in. And I think, 
Um, similarly, you know, it's, it's really around creating value, right? Like it's, it's, it's creating value on that sector's terms, right? Not so much on your terms. And, and obviously there's a bridge that needs to happen and you described it really well. So I want to go to another initiative and we'll dive in on this one specifically because I think we can illustrate a, lar- a lot of the larger points here. So you led this charge for learn and grow. It's a content hub geared around nearly every element of money management. Uh, I want to dive in to kind of illustrate this and, and just for the listeners, right, uh, if you go to Capital One's website, it's hub, there's a content hub of learn and grow. It has five categories, life events, business resources, more than money, privacy and security, and, and what would probably be the expected one, which is money management. And so let's start with the origin story. How did this start? Why? And, and tell me about um, your thesis on why this needed to exist. Sure. So learn and grow is a couple of years old right now it was launched back in november of 2018 and as you can imagine the origin story begins with content being created all around the company Mm -hmm. and for very good reasons within line of business agendas and strategies and what happened within that again similar to what was happening within the tech experience is we were creating not only creating that content within you know, kind of the structure of our organization. But then we had a lot of off-domain experiences. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't really have, whether it be a a functional strategy that was driving people back on domain or a unifying conceptual strategy of how is all of this different content really being um, additive to the Capital One brand. So that is really kind of the the impetus mm-hmm. for the creation of the hub and really trying to make sure on the topics that we believe we have authority, which are the ones that you just talked about, how do we increase our authority on those on those topics by really being efficient and scaled with our presence and not having that fractured in so many different places, but brought together into a singular experience that allows us to capitalize on any number of things from content development to distribution efficiencies, to search efficiencies. All of these things can really happen when you think about how one plus one can maybe equal three. Mm -hmm. So to that point, I'm curious, two years in, how are you now measuring the success of Learn and Grow? What are the metrics that you put on it to kind of see what's working and what's not? I am so excited to talk about measurement. I think it, <laughs> it's 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 tough, right? And we yeah. talked about this before, and I think many of your guests have talked about this before. It's a complicated environment in which we are participating. It is a crowded environment in which we are participating. And data gathering, depending on where and how you do that, the, um, the quality of that data gathering can be relatively... Mm-hmm. And so I first want to talk a little bit about what success looks like for content. And, you know, this is this is a big learning that I think the more we can kind of wrap our head around it, the better. So I remember reading way back when, as I was getting started with this type of work, a quote around content marketing and what it was at its core. And the the quote was around providing people truly, you know, beneficial information. Mm -hmm. And I believe that. Absolutely. 
And then it went on to say, without really any explicit expectation of a return. And that's the part where I was like, hmm, I'm not sure that that's the business I'm in. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that's the business of any marketer right now mm-hmm. to, to be investing in a space with no expectation of a return. But what I will say is, if we just qualified that sentence a little bit, I'm way more on board. And if I say, with no explicit expectation of an immediate return, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it starts to click for me. So yeah. a couple of ways we think about this, we think about our content, is it driving memorable and positive brand associations? So are we establishing a leadership position for benefits that we know drive choice in our category? Mm-hmm. So if, if we know that, that people make decisions on a certain benefit, um, whatever it might be, and that's how people think of our category, and that's how they make choices of our category, how do we make sure the Capital One brand is top of mind when someone has that need? And so we, we look at brand association studies and we look at the quality of our audience growth, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be new growth, incremental growth, high quality visitors, those types of folks that we're bringing into our experiences is, is one way we think about it. The other way we think about it is, is it driving an action that mm-hmm. we know matters? And that could be, is it being discovered? So how do we think about new visitors? to our hub? How do we think about search traffic? How do we think about other sources of traffic? Uh, Is our content engaging? And are people dwelling on our page? Are people viewing our videos through completion? And then lastly, are they doing anything with that information in the moment? Are they going anywhere else? Do they visit other pages on our sites? Do they learn more about products? Do they do they browse any deeper into our experience? And we take a look at that. And then, you know, there's there's one additional piece that I'm really excited about, which is really understanding is the content that people are engaging with signaling something mm-hmm. that we need to know. And that can kind of emerge in two different ways is the type of content they're engaging with signaling a behavior that is really positive. So, for example, are you engaging with uh, some financial education content and that is signaling a a behavior around, you know, whatever, pay on time Mm -hmm. uh, that is really attractive? So that's one thing to think about. Or is it signaling a need? You know, you're engaging with a certain type of content and it's a little bit of, you know, you're a digital raising your hands saying, I've got a problem or I need to know more or I'm stuck. Mm -hmm. And it it helps Capital One understand then where we need or where we could intervene and have some value to offer. So we're trying to look at the, the, you know, the return if you will, on a platform like Learn and Grow and all of the various strategies that contribute to it along that kind of continuum that I described, acknowledging that it's a piece of a very, you know, complicated puzzle. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, we're recording this two days before Thanksgiving. And on this very day, we just published a best of the year in content measurement. So timing of this is, it's pretty prescient. And one of my favorites, and I think this applies to what you're saying, uh, one of my favorite podcast guests this year was a guy named Guthrie Collin, who's the chief analytics officer for um, Wall Street Journal Barron's. And we talked about this topic uh, and, and kind of how what they're doing of 
the, the feedback loop, right? And, and really, one of the things that's fascinating, uh, and the Wall Street Journal's Custom Content Studio does this exactly as well, is what are those key insights that may be not obvious, right? And so, for example, mm-hmm. um, on your life events section of Learn and Grow, which is much less about money and more about kind of the whole person, you know, if certain types of content kind of ping or pop, it's giving you these additional insights that may um, direct future content around lanes that you might not have thought of. And I think that's, it's kind of like next level content, right? Kind of putting these pieces together um, in a very messy measurement system where everyone's kind of trying to figure out a little bit how, what are the best tools? There's so many of them out there. And so, and and I, I think that's what you're getting at there, right? Both within the topics that you're doing and then kind of the dot connecting within a learn and grow, which is a piece of a much larger puzzle. I mean, that's kind of where it's pretty exciting, I think. That's correct. Yeah, I, I I think about life events in particular for the Learn and Grow Hub. It's important to remember that our business serves a really wide continuum in terms of what people do with mm-hmm. their money. And so anything from money management, as you said at the beginning, being kind of the bread and butter, obviously, of what we're doing. But let's remember what positive money management yields Mm -hmm. and that's being able to do the things that you want to do and progress in the way that you want to progress and so figuring out what capital one's role or voice in that space is has been a really important part of our strategy because as much as uh in education Mm -hmm. and the nuts and bolts of financial management are what we want to put out there. We also want to create inspiration for people, some optimistic uh, content that allows them to uh, be able to see themselves in uh, a future space. All right, Lindsay, I want to stay there with ROI. Um, One common topic we talk about is C-suite communication. And I had a guy called me yesterday, VP of a very large company who's just at the early stage of what we're talking about. He's building out the content studio function. And I'd love you to react to this because he asked me, he goes like, what would be your number one thing so I don't screw this up? What's your number one piece of advice? And I said, C-suite communication. Your CEO and CFO have to be on board and understand how what you're doing ties into the overall key core business strategies. Um, Because if you don't, I feel like when the downturn comes, this sector is the one that usually kind of gets can get hit if it's not understood how it adds value to the business. So I'm curious about your reaction to that and then how you do it within Capital One. How do you connect the dots with the C-suite communication and make sure that everyone's aligned? Sure. I think one of the really important pieces to get started with is as a marketer adopting the vantage point of the CFO or the CEO and really being clear that we don't have a goal that says we need to grow our investment in content Mm -hmm. unless we have a business strategy that says in order to service our business objective, this is an immediately obvious thing that we need to go do more of, right? So I think that's a really important piece of it too, which is let's start with what are those business objectives? What are the barriers to achieving those business objectives? And then what does that mean in terms of where we need to invest and being really clear Mm -hmm. with our around what the contribution of this type of work is. I think then we can transition into what does a really good, you know, kind of goal for content look like, whether it be attracting and retaining positive attention 
think that's a really important piece of the story when you're talking about being remembered mm-hmm. and the quality of touch points that we can create through storytelling is really important. Obviously, supporting information that makes purchase decisions more obvious or creating a, a quality retargetable audience. These are all types of things that we can, you know, kind of say with certainty our work can contribute to based on, on, on what it is that we're trying to solve. And then I think the next thing is being really honest um, about all of those different measurements and really picking the ones that we can actually measure mm-hmm. with some degree of certainty. It is tough to your point. So I think we really need to be honest with ourselves around where are their direct measurements, where are their inferred measurements, and where are we just one uh, piece of a larger puzzle. One thing we talk a lot about, uh, and, you know, I I don't think anyone kind of has the lock or the solve on this just now. Many of the things I just talked about are longer-term outcomes. Mm -hmm. You know, creating associations in people's minds. That takes time. That takes pressure. That takes consistency. It takes lots of different channels. And at the end of the day, we'll see that outcome on a horizon that is more in years than it is months or quarters. Mm-hmm. But that we can't just settle with that and say, oh, that's going to take a long time, so we don't have to be precise or we don't have to be focused from a measurement perspective in the short term. So what I'm thinking a lot about is if we are squarely focused on those business outcomes that we are trying to drive, how do we have some tangible leading indicators that can give us confidence that what we are doing in the here and now is positively contributing towards that longer-term end outcome? And then even better, how can we create some evidence mm-hmm. among those, or I guess between those time horizons to give us an understanding if leading indicator A moves one way or another by such and such percent, how can I then have a little more confidence that it will have whatever impact on Mm -hmm. that longer-term outcome? And then I can start to make some trade-offs and some investment decisions. But that takes, you know, it takes several different layers of infrastructure, you know, analytical infrastructure to not only understand what the relationship is among those metrics on those time horizons, but then actually capturing them in the very, um, you know, kind of diversified manner in which we go to market. Yeah, I, I think you hit on a really, there's some really good nuggets in there, Lindsay. One that sticks out to me is just kind of the honesty. And I can tell you're, you're kind of a tell it like it is a woman, which I love and appreciate, right? And it's that notion of, I think a lot of times people put the train tracks down of kind of this is the plan and this is where we're going to go. And there's this momentum to kind of prove yourself to be right as opposed to kind of being objective and looking at what's working and, and course correcting along the way, right? Especially in this industry, which is still in the big picture of, you know, hundreds of years of business is so early stage and there's, you know, we could do three weeks of podcasts on measurement alone and, and not find kind of common ground among everybody. Right. And so I think that that's, that was a really uh, something that jumped out to me is just kind of the, you know, the the honest and then kind of the the milestoning, like you said, that's really good uh, approach. Uh, I'm curious, um, you know, to that kind of build on that, are there certain content trends that you're looking at right now that you're most bullish on, for 2021 and or other ones that you feel might be kind of sunsetting from your business perspective? 
Sure. Would love to talk about trends for just a minute. I think this is another word that gets, uh, I don't know, maybe a bad rap or mm-hmm. maybe it just gets interpreted in different ways. So when I think about trends, I think about a consistent uh, chronology of data points that points me in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. I do not necessarily think about like ephemeral tactics that might be here today and gone tomorrow. And this pressure or this need to kind of be first on whatever that tactic might be. I think that's a really um, interesting thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't make ourselves available if those tactics come up and they meet our objectives and things like that. But I think chasing uh, a trend as defined like that can be really dangerous. So when I think about, like, what are those trends then that are grounded in a longitudinal view of data that gives us confidence we should be investing, I think a lot about video. And I think that's a place where, um, you know, the the dynamic nature of the medium, the ability to tell stories in highly visual and highly impactful ways, it's here to stay mm-hmm. and will continue to grow. And again, go back to the go back to the notion here of making a brand top of mind. That video medium has so many tools available to do that, whether it be visual branding cues, whether it just be the drama and the, the you know the cinematography of mm-hmm. what you're presenting in addition to what you're actually saying and and what you're actually talking about. And I think about the way that you can create really thumb-stopping content for the highly distracted consumer. I think that's one big, I don't know if it's a lesson or if it's just a piece of awareness that we can all remind ourselves on each and every morning when we wake up is that no one is thinking about our brand as much as we are that particular moment. Yeah. So we need to work really hard yep. to break through the clutter. And I think uh, I think video just has, has such a tremendous ability to do that. You speak in my language, Lindsay. So uh, to that point, I'm curious on how the pandemic has impacted your approach and mentality to kind of the content creation workflow with the staff of your size being displaced and, and knowing that your teams are creating a lot of video in particular, I think, you know, obviously blog writing and those types of things are a little easier because um, they don't require as much right hands-on interplay, but how has it changed your workflow? Sure. So, you know, we really benefited from being, having some foresight in terms of, the flexibility of the platform itself, particularly the Learn and Grow platform, where we had these, you know, kind of buckets of content that we were investing in and it allowed us then to be able to reflect whatever was most top of mind or, or most relevant in any particular period of time, for example, with money management. And so what happened as we entered into the pandemic was certain types of, of content became really mission critical mm-hmm. more than others. And we were able to kind of use the flexibility of our navigation and the way that that's established to be able to, to be able to take a look at that. The other thing that, uh, you know, the pandemic really stressed for us was speed. And mm-hmm. because we have the in-house resources that we have, you know, the weekend that we were all kind of shut down, I think that was 
March 13th, at Mm -hmm. least out here on March 13th. And we were able to turn around content for our customers in 48 hours. Video content. And we were able to distribute it through all of our channels and house it on our main platform that helped our customers know what in the world to expect from us. Were we open? Were we closed? Could they get their money out? How do they deposit a check? You know, this is is their livelihood that was at stake. And it was a very, very scary time for all of us. And we wanted to make sure outside of any product, outside of any you know, type of line of business, we wanted to make sure that any Capital One customer knew that they were safe, that they had ways to access their money, and that we were here to answer questions if they needed them to be answered. And so one of the ways we were able to deliver that was by having the platform established mm-hmm. and by having a studio in-house that was able to to put these assets together and to have thought leadership within the walls of Capital One from a you know actual subject matter perspective that we could harvest hmm. and then get back out to our customers in a really rapid cycle way. Well, you're clearly smart as a whip, so I'm excited to get to this next one about morning musts. This is my lazy man's curation segment of the show where I ask people like yourself and industry leaders to fess up on their secret sauce of industry sources that you use to stay on top of. Um, industry news and, and topics and trends, email newsletter, social follows. So who are who are your morning musts? Who's in the Lindsay Hansen email inbox or where do you go to consume content to stay on top of things? Yeah, let's talk about just the requirement of a morning must these days. <laughs> you know, I'm at home, I've been working at home since March. My kids have been home since March doing school at home. I have a seventh grader and a ninth grader and they are absolutely amazing but i know as soon as my feet hit the floor in the morning my schedule is no longer my own (laughs) right we are all subject to whatever happens in our day we think we have a plan for the day but that's just kind of silly we tell ourselves that we have to go with the flow quite a bit Mm -hmm. and so morning months have become critical they are kind of uh yeah an, an indulgence if you will in, in normal times mm-hmm, when, when mm-hmm. I was more in control of, of that schedule. But now I think about the role of that type of content in my life as a place where I can get information I need about the things that I care about in a pretty rapid way so that as soon as my feet touch the floor, <laughs> I know I'm up to speed. And then I know if I happen to have 30 minutes later in the day, and there's something that I want to go deep on, I can then go do that, right? And mm-hmm. so that means that I spend time with things like uh, The Morning from New York Times mm-hmm. or Morning Brew or Axios AM, where I can really just a wide variety from mm-hmm. politics to culture to news to business. And on the marketing side, things like um, from the trades, Ad Week, First and First, mm-hmm. what's going on? In, in the ad community and, and what's what's moving and shaking there. The Wall Street Journal uh, CMO today. Yep. Man, you and I, I are like clicking off the same ones. I kind of get stuck <laughs> on Morning Brew, admittedly, on their links. Then I get rabbit holed off of them. I'm like, wait a minute, focus. Where am I? <laughs> yeah, but what I love then is I can come back to that yep. as time allows and, and really go deep. But I really enjoy those who are able to uh, boil down the complexity into bite size. And I really enjoy those that can do it with personality. With something that really connects with me and keeps me 
uh, engage. And I think that's the goal for all of us, right? To yep. Figure out how to deliver that content in a really compelling way that's respectful of people's time and that really kind of has a punch of personality that breaks through. Well, I think you win for any podcast guest for, um, I've seen behind the curtain of your schedule a little bit. And so I think you win for <laughs> tightest schedule window. So I don't even know if this one next apply, the next one applies, but the final one is bedside book stand. Any books you've read or excited to read in for fun. I joked about this with my team. Like, I have read the first chapter of a book so many times <laughs> during, this, during this quarantine. I have finished one book in 2020, so I'm not even going to, to try and pretend that I have a bedside table full of business and leadership books and, and all of those types of well, things. These so are for this fun. Uh, this is for fun. Anything for fun. I finished, um, I finished Untamed. Mm. by Glennon Doyle and mm-hmm. I read it in like a day and a half when it first came out and I don't know if you've read any of her work yeah, I've read one of her books yes I and, and again from a content strategy and all of the different ways she activates her content and you know I think it was just such a refreshing read of just a truly honest and, and authentic and admirable voice and mission with some really you know good reminders mm-hmm. and good cues for each of us as individuals to help us understand like if if cultural and societal norms put you in a box or or label you in a way that just doesn't fit how do each of us have the power to reverse that Mm -hmm. uh, and really own the story a little bit more directly so that was kind of a a really powerful uh, read and it kind of set up a point of view going into working from home and, Mm -hmm. and during the pandemic that was like hey i'm I'm not in control of everything, <laughs> but I can try. And, I'm, I, and there's a lot that's being done to us right now. Yep. But for what we can control, which is, you know, to the extent that we, we think we can direct our, our homes and we can create a home that feels good and a family that feels good and friendships that feel good, that is within our control. Uh, and it's really exciting to invest in. Well, Lindsay Hansen from Capital One, this has been a joy to have you. Really appreciate you pulling the curtain back on Uh, a really impressive content function and and marketing function at Capital One. So thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.